the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. After the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter the kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. <clears throat> he will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you, Craig. Let's pray together. Father, it's a blessing to be able to sing your praises and to be able to gather uh, as your people around your word. God, we're mindful today that uh, this is a privilege and a privilege we never want to take for granted. So God, thank you uh, for the privilege of worshiping you. Thanks for making yourself known uh, in your word so that we can come uh, and we can exalt you together. God, as we come now uh, around your scriptures uh, for this moment, God, we pray that you would make them uh, clearly speak to our lives so that first and foremost, we would know you for who you are and glorify you. I ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. I, uh, today we turn to Psalm 110, another psalm uh, focused around the kingship uh, of God and the kingship of Christ especially. And, uh, you know, in moments of crisis, whether that be personal uh, or international, uh, we, we need good leaders, don't we? we? In moments when things are tough, when things are challenging, we, we have a tendency and we have this desire to turn to our leaders and, and look for good leadership when things are tough. Uh, when there are times of war or tragedy, uh, we are looking for ways that our, our leaders are going to respond well. And so during the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, lots of attention. The spotlight has been thrown on uh, all kinds of leaders, whether it be local, state, national, international leaders, leaders of other countries. Uh, World Health Organization, of course, has gotten lots of attention. Uh, and so all that has lots of attention. Plus this week, uh, last couple weeks, there's been lots of unrest and protests. And so again, we look to leaders and we say, how, how are they going to respond in these moments? Uh, there are moments of chaos and crises. And those things we say, what, what are the leaders going to do? And that probably is especially uh, on the forefront of people's minds in things like times like an election year. Uh, and I mention that only to say that we uh, as people are geared to look for good leadership. We want to be led well. We want people to lead us well, especially when, when we realize how much we need it. Uh, but there's a reason why most modern governments uh, have moved away from having a king. There's not many kings in the world these days, right? Uh, most of our modern governments uh, see that, yes, uh, we are, are, are sinful and we're flawed, and so we need somebody to lead us and direct us, but 
so are our leaders, right? We, we don't want to give too much power in the hands of any one person. So most modern governments have some form of checks and balances so that no one person rules uh, too much. But that, that see, we, we see that need in our hearts. We, we see this desire for a, a perfectly holy and good and righteous leader. We, we see a desire in each of us, in our hearts, that for somebody to guide us who always knows what's best. The one who's perfectly wise and perfectly moral and perfectly holy. And if we could guarantee that this leader would have perfect wisdom and perfect morality, then it would only make sense if this leader also has all power to make this perfect wisdom and perfect uh, morality all take place. Wouldn't that be nice? The world's most perfect leader. Like in the times of crisis, that's what our hearts are longing for. So I got good news for you today. I got good news for you today. We do have that leader, and he is alive and well, and he's not up for election. <laughs> he has already won, and he has already won forever and all times, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Jesus rules as our king. That's where I want to start this morning as we look to Psalm 110. We started a, a summer series in the book of Psalms a few weeks back. Uh, and we're calling this the, the Summer Psalms Playlist. Summer Psalms Playlist. Because the book of Psalms is a, a prayer book or a hymn book. Uh, or so more modernly, we're calling it a playlist of ways that we're singing back to God, singing His praises. So part one, we started singing about God's steadfast love in Psalm 33. And then last week, and we're coming into this week, we're doing part two of singing to the King. Looking to the Psalms that, that reflect God as King and seeing how important it is for us to sing His praises as the one who rules over all things. And so the first part uh, of our message from Psalm 110, I mean, Psalm 110 is a, a short psalm, it's seven verses. Some of the wording may be a little bit unclear, but the overall message is very clear. Where it starts is that Jesus is the King. We are hesitant in modern societies, and rightfully so, to give kingship. That, that seems like a, too much authority and too much power. And for anybody who is not God, that would absolutely be true. But to the one who is perfect and holy and righteous in every way, this is the right title for him as the one who is king over all. And if we can see him for who he is, we realize that's, that's a really good thing, that he is in fact king and lord over all. There are so many struggles and strains in our lives and so much chaos in the world. If we were left up to just ourselves, if it was just up to humanity to figure out a, a way on our own to do this, we, we wouldn't have much hope of being able to do that on our own. But thankfully, we have a perfectly holy and good and powerful king in Jesus. Psalm 110, you'll see if you're looking at your own copy of God's word, it has a little title at the, at the top of it above the first verse that says, A Psalm of David. So this is a psalm that King David himself wrote uh, in worship. Now, keep in mind, David lived about 1,500 years before Christ. And so he starts this psalm with kind of an interesting phrase. He says, The Lord said to my Lord. And this is the key to understanding this psalm. And, and so I want you to be able to see this and understand it for yourself. David is the king of Israel, right? And for most anybody, you know, for everybody else in Israel at that point, they could really say they have two kings. King David is their earthly king. But they also, of course, worship God, who's like the king of kings. So they have two kings. But David, he just has one king, right? 
He is the earthly king, so if he talks about somebody being king, he's got to be talking about God. But then listen to the way he says this. And you'll see this. if you're, I've got it on the screen for you, uh, so you can see the difference, but it's in every modern translation of the Bible. has it the same way. The first time it says, it says, the Lord says to my Lord. So Lord's in there twice. And you'll notice in your copy or on the screen, the first time Lord is said, it's in, they call this small caps, big L, but then the O-R-D is also capital letters. They're just a little bit smaller. You notice that? And the next time it says Lord, it's capital L and the lowercase O-R-D. Why is it written different ways? Well, in your Old Testaments and almost all modern translations I know of, anytime the divine name of God is used, Yahweh, the way the English Bibles translate that and make that clear to us is to print it like this, L, capital L, capital O-R-D, like that. That's Yahweh. But then the next word that's used there, when he says, my Lord, he uses a different name, Adonai, which could be a reference to an earthly master, but is also frequently a way that God himself is described. So the important thing is there's three people here, three characters. David is speaking, then there's Yahweh, Lord, capital letters, and then there's lowercase Lord. Who are the three? Why? How could David, how could there be three? Well, Jesus. He's always the answer, right? Come on, that was Sunday school. Like, you know, you could have gotten that, right? Jesus is the answer. And I want you to be able to see that for yourself in your Bible, that this is what David had in mind. There is uh, Yahweh, the God, the Father, but he also speaks of somebody else who is also Lord and King. What's going on here is that David is imagining a better king that's still yet to come. David has been promised that one of his descendants will be on the throne forever, and he will reign as an eternal king. And so it's coming. It's one of his children. It's a descendant, and yet it's somebody who is eternal. So he has to have he has to be a man because he has to be born of David's line, but he also has to be God because he's going to be eternal. So David, though probably partially, he understood that the Messiah was coming and he would be king over all. During Jesus' ministry, he made an important reference to this very psalm in Psalm 110. It, it, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this, this account with the Pharisees, but I'll read it to you out of Matthew chapter 22. Uh, it says now, this is Matthew 22, starting in verse 41. It says, Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, The son of David. And he said to them, How is it then that David in the Spirit calls him Lord? The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So that's quoting Psalm 110, verse 1. So Jesus continues. He says, if then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. So Jesus helps us understand what's going on in Psalm 110. The second reference to Lord in verse 1 is a reference to Jesus. He is a biological descendant of David. He's a son of David. But he is greater than David because he is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the anointed one. He is God himself. So you could translate or, or kind of paraphrase Psalm 110 verse 1 and say, God the Father said to God the Son, Sit at my right hand until I put all enemies under your feet. The right hand is a place of honor and respect. It's a place of authority. It's a place of power, representing the throne before other people. So to sit at the right hand of God is to be 
his representative, which is who Christ is for us. David could look into the future and could say that that throne, this seat, this place of authority, it will be given to the Messiah, to Jesus himself. The New Testament quotes this psalm, Psalm 110, more than any other psalm uh, in, the, in, in, the whole, uh, in all the psalms. And so this one line about sitting at the right hand of the Father is, is one that's repeated a lot. Uh, Acts 2.30, Romans 8.34, Colossians 3.1, Hebrews 12.2, all of those, and there are more, all reference Jesus being exalted and sitting at the right hand of the Father. Why does He get that, why does he get that exalted position? He gets it because He came and He died for our sins. And then He resurrected, defeating sin and death. And not only that, but He ascended back to the Father. So that proves He's the King. He defeated the worst enemies ever. And so He sits at the right hand of the Father as the authority over all things. Jesus truly rules as the King. And one day, this psalm tells us, all enemies will be like a footstool to Jesus. Like a footstool. I don't know about you, but I, I'm, I'm really relaxed when I can prop my feet up. You know what I mean? Like if I'm sitting like you're sitting, I'm okay. But if I get a footstool, like I am really relaxed. In fact, Amber will tell you, give me a footstool for about 10 minutes, I'm probably asleep. Because as soon as my feet go up, I'm so relaxed that I'm asleep. I, I realized early on, I, I used to like try to sit and read or study that way with my feet up. I can't do it because I'll fall asleep. It's so relaxing. Something being a footstool is like it's completely under control. And that's how all the enemies of God are described. All the worst powers, all the biggest and scariest nations, all the most horrific terrorist accounts, all of it is like just propping his feet up, laying back, taking a nap. That's the authority and the power that Jesus has. He speaks of a, a scepter that the son will have. A scepter was a symbol of the king's power. The father, God the Father says, rule in the midst of your enemies. He will be in charge. He is ruling over opposition. There is opposition, but it's clear who is in charge. And some don't like that, do they? They're enemies. They're working against it. They're the enemies in verse 1 and 2. And when Jesus returns, it says He will defeat these enemies a final time. Verses 5 to 7 kind of play out that picture of what it looks like for us. He'll shatter the kings and execute judgment among the nations. No other kingdom will be able to stand against Jesus. He will go to war. And he will win all the battles over all his enemies. Verse 7 pictures him taking a refreshing drink from the water and lifting up his head, a symbol of victory. He has won, he's defeated, he's drinking the water, and he is raising his head victorious over all. That's why verse 5 could reiterate. So a second time it says, he sits at the right hand of the Father. There's no doubt, Jesus rules as the King. Many will be opposed to that, but all will bow. Many will be opposed, but there are also some who are for it. Some have to go unwillingly to be servants of the king, but many go willingly. Verse 3 describes that group who is willing and eager to serve. He doesn't have to triumph over everybody because some are eager to join on his side. It says in verse 3, your people, speaking of, of the son, your people. That's who I want to be. I want to be in that group. I want to be in the people who are eager and willing and ready to follow this king and to go with him on his side. It says they come freely. And depending on your translation, it may have something different there because the, the word is used for a free will offering. 
you go through the Old Testament, you can find different ways uh, sacrifices are described. Many are for certain feasts or a certain, to pay for sin in a certain way. And yet there are times where people freely, for no payments, nothing, they just freely wanted to give something to God. And so that offering was called a free will offering. And here's the people of God coming behind this great king, the Messiah, and saying, I'm not paying for anything. I'm just giving my life to you because I want to. It's a free will offering. We are freely offering our lives to God because we know it truly is the best. There is nothing better we could do with our lives. It says they are dressed in holy garments. They are appropriately dressed to join with this king in his holy and righteous battle. And they're as numerous as the drops of dew on the ground in the morning. It describes them as youthful, meaning they are, they are capable and ready and willing to go with this king. So that's why I said Jesus is not up for election. He is king, period. That's not in question. What's in question is, will we be willing and eager servants? Or will he have to conquer us as his enemies? Some will come and serve him with great joy and great freedom and great excitement, ready to be a part of his family. Others will only serve him after they have been defeated. Jesus' kingship isn't in question. The question is whether we will willingly or unwillingly be his servants. My plea to you this morning is to be a willing servant, to be eager and excited because there is nothing better. He is in control and he will reign. Now, I originally picked some of these psalms, these kingship psalms, because we're focusing on Jesus as the king because we're going through this pandemic. I mean, going through a world where everything, I just have never seen the kind of chaos of all these countries shut down and all the kinds of travel and all these things just... It just seems chaotic. And I don't know about you, but it's comforting. It's good news to me to come back to the Word of God and be reminded that Jesus truly is King. He truly does reign over all these things. None of the, 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 the pandemic problems, none of these things are stopping Jesus from being King. He is still in control. And then on top of that, over the last few weeks, we've witnessed multiple deaths of black men at the hands of white men. And there is just this ache in this realization that we live in a broken world. It's just painful to see prejudice and racism, such ugly realities in our lives today. And I know there's a desire to jump quickly to think about how protests should happen, and and that just further proves the point. This is a broken world. It's so painful and so ugly. Like, I I just briefly clicked on the news this morning. I had to turn it off. I was like, I can't can't do this right now. I've got to go to worship. I'm I'm just aching in pain over what we see around us. So all the more, isn't it good news to realize that Jesus is King, to realize He is in control, reigning over all things. This month, May, is Foster Care Awareness. And you may be aware of the tremendous need we have in our state and in our country for foster parents which is, again, proves the point that this is a broken world we live in. We had a foster placement just last weekend, five days over, over last weekend, of a little girl who showed up at our house at midnight with a caseworker on Thursday a week ago, just with one bag and a scared look in her eye, you know? And that, as we pieced together bits and pieces of her story, she's originally from Central America, moved to Florida, there's jobs that didn't work out, she came up this way, just during the pandemic for a family that had a different job. I think she was living in a hotel. 
drugs were involved and police got involved and they figured it all out. But like the whole time my heart just ached because it's just broken. This is not how it should be. And so we come to the Word of God and we see pandemic or prejudice or foster kids and we say, praise God there's a king. Praise God there's a king. One day, Jesus will make everything right. All those broken things will be fixed. All sad things will come untrue. All injustice will be overturned and all wrongs will be made right. And we have the opportunity and the blessing to pursue those good and righteous things for as long as we're on this earth. Because we know how it's going to end. We're fighting a winning battle. And so we can continue to pursue things like loving orphans, pursuing justice, seeking peace. Because all the enemies of God will ultimately be destroyed and God will show that He ultimately rules as our King. But I titled this sermon, A Different Kind of King, because we need to realize one more thing about this King, if we're going to understand Him for who He is. Because you see, the, the Psalms describes Him destroying all the enemies. He's the King. And so we have to realize, you know, apart from God's grace, all of us would be His enemies. You see, if Jesus was only the King, if that was His only office, His only description, then that actually wouldn't be good news for us because we would be destroyed as his enemies. I described a group who is willing to go, but the only way we can be willing to go with him is if God's grace has been at work in our lives. The Bible describes us in Romans 5, 8, before Christ, as his enemy. The very group that he says gets destroyed here in Psalm 110. So before I, I, I blow the trumpet of celebration too much, we've got to back up and say, wait, is this good news for us? Is it good news for us that God rules as King and that Jesus is Lord? When well, Psalm 110, the all caps Lord, God the Father, speaks the statement about the other Lord, God the Son, he speaks two statements. The first one was about his kingship. But then if you go down to verse 4, there's one more thing he says about this King, about this, this Lord. He says, it says, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. And this is what he says to the Son. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You see, Jesus rules as the king, and Jesus ministers as our priest. Jesus rules as king, and he ministers as our priest. You see, in, in our society, we don't really have kings or priests, but maybe you can get your mind around a king a little bit more than you can uh, a priest. Maybe you've got a, a Catholic priest or something in your mind when I say that, but this is something kind of different here. The Old Testament, the, the main role of a priest was to offer a sacrifice to God on behalf of the people. And so the people would come and they'd bring, whether it be an animal or grain, and they would offer it as a sacrifice as a way of helping God's people, God's people be with God. So their role was a, a mediator to go in between to help God's people who are unholy be in the presence of a holy God. That's the priest's job to get, those, get us together with uh, God Himself. So through that sacrificial system, they serve as a mediator. And then once a year, there was a special priest, a one who was selected for the year, who was a high priest, who had a special role in the Day of Atonement to come into the Holy of Holies once a year and to make a sacrifice, to make an atonement for the people's sins so that they continue to be in relationship with God. And to many in the modern world, maybe that sounds old-fashioned, sacrifices, all those kind of things, but we have to recognize the, the brokenness we see out there in the world. I say this all the time, it's not just out there, is it? It's in here. We see the same evil out there, different shapes, different forms, but it's, it's in here too. 
Yes, we need a king over there to rule over all things, to make all the evil stop. But we need a priest to come in and to reconcile us to God. The annual sacrifices that continued sporadically in the Old Testament, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament tell us they were just a shadow. They were just foretelling what was to come that wasn't complete and finished because an animal is not equivalent to the life of a human, is it? It just never was complete. And that's what makes Jesus' role so remarkable. He is called a priest in the order of Melchizedek. You can go to Genesis 14 to find this kind of mysterious figure who comes to uh, Abraham in that moment. And it describes him as a priest and as the king of Salem, the king of peace, the king of Jerusalem. And so he was the only one in the Old Testament that has this unique blend. He is king, but he's also priest. He's ruling, but it's also somebody that Abraham gives a tenth, an offering of a tenth of everything he has to him. The rest of the Old Testament, the kings come from the line of Judah. The priests come from the line of Levi. These are two totally different families. They don't work together until they do in Jesus, like this tells us. You see, when Melchizedek comes as this king priest, no family is mentioned, no birth, no death, no descendants, and Abraham gives him this offering. It's a foretelling of who Jesus is and what he would be like. He both rules and reigns, and he ministers as a priest. So in Psalm 110, when David is picturing this future descendant, he's picturing this one who is uniquely both king and priest. He is both fully God and fully man. He brings things together that we didn't think were possible. And he does it so that we can be reconciled to God. Uniquely in Christ, we have the opportunity to be with God himself. And there's nothing greater than that. Jesus serves as our priest as he intercedes for us. He pleads to the Father for us. He draws us close to to the Father. And why can he do that? Because he made a sacrifice unlike anybody else had ever made. All the other priests before had offered lambs and goats and grain, but Jesus offered his very life. He offered up not something else but himself, and it was a sacrifice made once and for all. Jesus can intercede for us constantly before the Father because the Father's wrath was poured out on the Son and it does not have to be poured out on us. We, can know, we don't have to be His enemies. Now we can be His willing supporters because our sin has been paid for. That's the role of a priest and that's what we need in Jesus. So that's why I, my job title is not a priest because I'm not. Jesus is the ultimate high priest. Peter talks about how we're, we're all priests. We're a kingdom of priests. We can all talk to God directly. Because Jesus is interceding. He's at the right hand of the Father, pleading on our behalf. Maybe you saw the the news headline that spread during the pandemic that the Pope very graciously allowed people to pray for forgiveness directly to God just during the pandemic so they didn't have to go spread a a virus to to their priest, you know. And uh, I thought it was very gracious of him, but he should know we've been doing that for 2,000 years now because we can talk directly to God. We don't have to have an intermediary. Jesus is the one who goes between us and God. And so now we can speak to Him directly. Unless we miss one of the most significant parts of this promise, notice again in verse 4, He said, To God the Father says to the Son, You are a priest forever. See, what gives us hope and assurance in this promise is that this wasn't just something that happened 2,000 years ago. This is true forever. Jesus' work was not temporary. It is permanent. 
Jesus rules as our king and he ministers as our priest forever. Hebrews 10, 10 to 13 makes this connection for us uh, even clearer. Twice it references Psalm 110. I told you, the New Testament, you'll keep finding this. If you start looking for it over and over again throughout the New Testament, Psalm 110 is quoted. Here it is in Hebrews chapter 10. It says, And by that uh, will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until all his enemies shall be made a footstool for his feet. Because of Jesus' perfect sacrifice, his substitutionary sacrifice in our place, he rules and reigns over all, and he brings us to the Father, and we can dwell with him. And one day, all enemies will be like a footstool to Jesus Christ. I don't know you, but sometimes I look around the world and I get discouraged. Headlines, news, social media, it all tells me the world is falling apart. And if I don't do whatever it is they tell me to do right now, it's just all going to fall apart, you know. But there's so much wickedness, so much evil, so much sickness, so much racism, anger, violence. It's easy to feel defeated by it all. But then we come back to the Word of God. And we remember we have a king who rules over all. And one day it will all be brought to an end. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get discouraged by looking at my own heart. My repeated sin, my selfishness, doing things that I don't want to do, not doing the things that I want to do, my own prejudices and anger. There's so much wickedness and evil in my heart, and it's easy to feel defeated by it all. But then I come back to the Word of God, and remember, we have a high priest who has made a sacrifice once and for all, and he has made a way for us to be reconciled to God. I'm grateful that Jesus is our priest. There's so much unrest and uncertainty in the world and in our hearts, but we don't have to live in fear. Psalm 110 tells us Jesus is our king. He's in charge, and he's our priest, and he's reconciling us to God. Charles Spurgeon said, commenting on Psalm 110, he said, Let us never fear as to the future, while we see our Lord and representative sitting at the right hand of the Father, in quiet expectancy, we too may sit in the attitude of peaceful assurance. With confidence, we can await the grand outcome of all events. Let's pray. Father, it's a blessing to look to your word and to be reassured of the truth. God, I am so tempted to believe lies all around me, that things are falling apart that I am falling apart, that I am not able to come into your presence because of my wickedness. So God, it is good to come to your word today and be reminded of the gospel, that Christ, who is perfect, came and lived a perfect life, died in my place, defeated sin and death by resurrecting, and then ascended to your right hand, so that He can continue to rule and to reign and to intercede on our behalf. Father, the gospel is good news today. The same gospel that David was able to see 3,500 years ago. 
It's the same gospel that gives us hope and gives us assurance and gives us peace. Father, when we're tempted to despair or to fear, God, remind us time and time again of the good news, the good news of the gospel. Lord, we love you and we thank you for grace and we thank you for your son. And it's in his precious and holy name I pray. Amen. We invite you to stand and worship with us. If you're here at home, we invite you to sing with us as we close in worship. And as we do, I want you to think about bringing to your mind this picture of Jesus. The one who is king, the one who is priest, the one who reigns, the one who intercedes. I want you to ask him, what does it look like for me to submit my life willingly to him and worship him today? Let's sing. Let's sing.